What you see is what you get. Hello, my name is Pastor Chris Miller, and I am your host on the PC Speaking Podcast, where we are equipping Christians for life. Hello, and welcome back to the PC Speaking Podcast. Great to have you along this week. I certainly, as always, appreciate you, and I appreciate your time, and I appreciate you using that time to give this a listen. We are less than two weeks away from Christmas. I was talking to my son last night at home, and I thought we were two and a half weeks away, but we're under two weeks away. Almost there. Um, I remember when I was a kid, I used to get really excited about Christmas. You get excited about Christmas. I don't know. Sometimes adults do. My wife is one of those people who gets very excited about Christmas. And a lot of kids do, but as we get older, we often tend to lose some of that enthusiasm. Um, it, yeah, we just lose it as we get older. I remember when I was growing up on the farm as a kid on Christmas morning, we would get up very early and go outside and, and do all the work that needed to be done. Of course, it was icy. It was cold. It was in the northwestern U.S. And we would uh, have most of it done by the time the sun came up in the morning. And I remember a few things very distinctly about those early Christmas mornings out in the dark and the cold. Um, And I always remember them being very quiet, very still, very calm. The stars were brilliant. The air was very clear. Um, It was actually enjoyable to be out um, that early in the morning in the wintertime. I remember uh, also distinctly that it was probably one of the only days out of the year where I didn't... uh, have a bad attitude about getting up that early and getting outside in the ice and the snow. But I also remember the feeling I had on Christmas morning or even around Christmas as a kid. And I don't know, you call it Christmas spirit, whatever you'd like to call it. And I remember even though I wasn't a Christian at that time, um, I still understood what Christmas was about. Actually, I would say I very much understood what Christmas was about. I didn't know anything about theology. Uh, Being a pastor was for sure the farthest thing from my mind at the time. But I didn't have Bible knowledge outside of just a basic idea of what the Christmas story is and the birth of Jesus. But what I did have was a sense of wonder and a sense of mystery. But as I grew up, and life happens as it does. The the sheen on that wonder and mystery kind of dulled with time. And I think that's probably an experience that is common to a lot of people. I don't know if it's the same for you, but the feeling of Christmas spirit that I had as a kid kind of gradually became lackluster as I got older. Life happens, and I suppose with time and experience, we all lose some of the wonder and the mystery that comes with Christmas. And today I'm going to share with you some considerations that may be helpful in recovering some of that sense of wonder, the sense of mystery, the sense of awe. Not not so much facts or lessons, but some thoughts to ponder that it may help a little bit with that Christmas spirit. We're going to be reading a few passages um, today, but we'll we'll start in the book of James. And 
the book of James is considered wisdom literature. Uh, and a part of the book, I suppose a large part of the book, is dealing with the fact that life happens and how to live as a follower of Jesus when it does happen. Um, life is full of suffering. It's, it's full of difficulty. In uh, many ways, the book of James is making a comparison between religious activity and genuine faith and how those things work together, you know, um, making a comparison between comparison between acting to gain favor versus acting out of love and obedience. And it opens with talking about trials and trouble and testing that we go through and how those are very real things for all of us. We go through life's difficulties and there's a process of refining that happens as we do when the impure, the worthless things are gradually removed from us. So suffering, though it's not very fun, is actually quite good for us. And this time of year for some is suffering. And I always want to recognize that. Um, This may not be a good time of year for you. It may be a time of year that you don't enjoy. It may be a time of year that you'd rather just give a miss because no one likes to suffer. But when suffering is applied to faith, Worthless things are removed, and through the suffering, we are left with a more pure faith, a better faith, a more refined faith, a faith that has more value. And that's one of the stark contrasts between Christian beliefs and most religious systems, I would say, and in almost any other religion. And I suppose Christians, there are a lot of Christians who mistakenly believe this as well, but in non-Christian religious systems, normally, um, it's almost always the case that you try to do the right thing so as to avoid suffering. But the Bible teaches us that suffering is a reality for everyone, and we should actually embrace that suffering instead of you know trying to avoid it, trying to do good things to dodge it, I guess you could say. And We can even find joy in the fact that through that suffering, there can be value and purity added to faith as it is refined through the process of suffering. Um, The gospel message itself is about suffering. Jesus suffered on the cross, and he died and shed his blood um, to achieve our redemption. And when James wrote the book of James, the concept of suffering was not something that Christians were trying to avoid. It was something that they understood as a regular, everyday part of life. Um, And even that, at times, being a Christian might even add to that suffering. And today, those ideas often clash. We often struggle between the two. We wrestle between the two. Even among Christians, probably, I don't know, there's some just some strange teaching that's been part of Christianity for a while that... um, God, it's it's his job to make you happy or something like that. I don't I don't even really want to get all into that right now. But the the fact is that the idea of being a Christian and the idea that there's going to be suffering in your life often clash in modern Christianity. And even longtime Christians struggle with that. They struggle uh, to reap the benefits of suffering because instead of recognizing it as a regular part of life and embracing it as a reality of our walk with God and something that is just going to be part of life and not something that we are going to avoid. Uh, 
we often try to run from it or we try to avoid it or circumvent it in some way or dodge it or prevent it. And there are some kinds of suffering that kind of are our own fault that we come into. Sometimes sin leads to that kind of suffering, but there's also the suffering that it's just part of life that we're not going to avoid. And when we constantly struggle against that suffering and we fight it, we can actually become calloused. And when we do that enough, we can become legalistic and harsh and look and act like we've been eating lemons. And we can view people in the world as our enemy rather than the objects of God's love and our mission field. And I fully understand that there are things always happening in the world. There always have been things happening in the world that make life difficult. And depending where you live as a believer, being a Christian can make your life difficult. There are things in the world that happen that are frustrating. They can make us angry. But something we always need to remember in that is that they're not so difficult that they're going to thwart God's will or his plans. Um, nothing catches him by surprise. Um, and, and none of those things are going to change our standing with God. If you're a saved believer, that's permanent. And all of the things in the world that are annoying are temporary. And it's good to remember that. And part of what I'm getting at is that through mishandled suffering, when we view it the wrong way, when we don't view it as a means of refining our faith, we can become calloused and we can become harsh and we can lose the mystery and the wonder and the sense of awe at the majesty of God that we once knew back when we first became a Christian or different parts of our walk with God. And for me personally, that new Christian mindset that I'm talking about, that sense of awe and wonder and mystery of God is in the emotion that comes along with that. Even I know sometimes, uh, depending on what stripe of Christian you are, emotion can almost be a bad word, but it's really not. But that feeling of a being a new believer was similar to the feeling I had when I was a kid at Christmas. And as a Christian, that's something we want to renew. That's not something we want to lose. I think that part of a genuine faith is working on keeping a, a grasp on the wonder and mystery of God and and you know how he works out his plans and pondering that his plan of redemption and how he brought that into being that's a wonderful thing not just a pragmatic understanding of it but the mystery and the wonder of what god has done the mystery and the wonder of the things of god that we don't understand and i would say that it's not what i know but what i don't know that has really fueled my life as a Christian and fueled my walk with God and fueled my ministry over the past couple of decades. And it's easy, especially, you know, if you're, you're sitting in a pastor seat like I do, it's easy to think we're smart and theologically astute and we have things figured out and, and lose touch with the mystery and the wonder of the mighty God we serve and just sit and ponder and contemplate the wonder and the awe and the majesty of God. And I think that's kind of what happened with the Pharisees in the New Testament. They reduced everything to uh, simple actions 
and they lost the mystery and the wonder. And we don't want that to happen to us. Understood knowledge and theology are good. They're great things. Religious practice, tradition are good things. Um, sometimes you hear people say, oh, I, you know, it's not a religion, it's a relationship. No, no, it's a religion. You can read about it in the book of James. You can go find that for yourself. But understood knowledge, it, it, it's a good thing. The theology is a good thing. But so is the mystery in the sense of wonder that comes with the things that we don't know about God. And we can be excited about those things and we can enjoy those things and ponder them and uh, the things that we can just be still and contemplate. And there's not much else we can do with them except just say, this is God. That's the only way that's possible. And the wonder, the mystery of being a Christian, the awe at the majesty of God, the mystery of the things we don't understand and that we never will, at least not in this lifetime, are important too. And I think sometimes it's really good for us to revisit those things. And maybe this is a message for me because I know I struggle with this a lot. Um, I let the everyday problems of life and ministry cause me to become callous. And I just kind of get through the week and grind things out. And I get in a place where I often, you know, don't enjoy what I'm doing. It, uh, and especially at this time of year, we've it's, it's easy to get so caught up in everything except the one thing. I know I was reading an article the other day about um, how people in ministries, especially just they, they basically live at the church at this time of year and they're so busy with everything going on that it's easy to lose the sense of wonder and mystery, but we should consciously decide and make the effort to always make the wonder and mystery of God part of our walk with him. And today I don't, I don't plan to, download information to you or just share some simple facts with you so much as it is my hope to maybe share some things that would help renew that sense of wonder, that sense of mystery, that Christmas spirit, whatever you want to call it, just contemplating the wonderful things that are beyond being reduced to simple theological commentary. And sometimes it's good to let our mind wander in those things and think on those things and ponder them and consider them and, and allow God to renew that sense of wonder within us. And I'm going to share with you four considerations that you can ponder that I'm hoping God might use in you and in me to help renew that sense of mystery and that sense of wonder. They are the fantastic gifts of God, the thoughts of Mary, the fear of the shepherds, and the faith of Joseph. And we're going to start with the fantastic gifts of God. And I'm going to read from James chapter 1. Um, I'll recite that for you. James chapter 1, verses 17 through 18. It says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom, within whom is no change or shadow of turning. Of his own will, he brought us forth with the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. And when I talk about the excitement of Christmas and being caught up in the Christmas spirit as a kid, I would have to admit that was at least in part due to the excitement around Christmas gifts. And 
even now today, I have to admit that I really enjoy receiving Christmas gifts. I just do. I enjoy giving gifts as well. I like giving gifts to someone. When I've got something to give someone that I know they are going to love, it's so much fun to do that. Sometimes I think, oh, I shouldn't, you know, I shouldn't uh, be into receiving gifts. It sounds materialistic, but I don't know. The fact is, is I do enjoy that. And I'm sure some of you do as well. And sometimes we forget, we don't take the time to recognize that our life is full of gifts. It really is. Your church is a gift. Your kids are a gift. Your family is a gift. Um, even suffering is a gift. And of course, suffering may not feel like a gift or feel like the way we want a gift to feel. But nonetheless, being able to view it in that way is very helpful in dealing with suffering. When, when applied to faith, suffering adds value. And it makes our faith, it refines it, it removes the impurities, it makes it more valuable. And it's easier to talk about suffering when I'm sitting in here, you know, in a nice building and I'm comfortable and I really don't have any major problems at the moment. It's, of course, it's easy to talk about suffering then when you're not in the midst of it. But the best way to make it through suffering and make the most of it and the best of it is not to avoid it, but to embrace it. And because when we try to avoid it, we actually waste suffering and we don't get the benefit of it. But sometimes in counseling, something um, I work on with people is embracing suffering and learning how to do that. And it's very counterintuitive. It's very countercultural. But instead of trying to avoid it, you know, which is what we normally do when we feel anxious or are going through difficult times, our natural reaction is to push against suffering, try to avoid it, try to push it away, try to circumvent it, maybe run away from it sometimes, uh, attempt to avoid it in some way. And all of those things, that kind of reaction to suffering, it um, negates the benefit of it and also has the potential to make the suffering worse because we probably are not going to avoid it anyway. And then sometimes when we're trying to avoid it, it's almost like we're running away from something that's dangerous or that we're afraid of. And that just adds to our difficulties and actually increases those negative feelings that come with it. And the best way to cope with suffering is not to run away from it, but to embrace it. And I know that sounds very, very counterintuitive, but you wrap yourself around it mentally. You accept it emotionally. You think about it. You bring it close. You don't try to not think about it and push it away. You bring it in and you think about it. What does it feel like? Where do these feelings originate? Where are they coming from inside of me? What is causing them outside of me? Sometimes when we lean into suffering in that way, that in itself is enough to quell those feelings of anxiety. And in many ways, suffering is very much a gift. And we can do what James says in in chapter 1, verse 2, and count it all joy when it comes to knowing that God is going to work good things out of that suffering. And we don't want to waste it. So we want to embrace it, lean into it, and meditate on it. And that's actually going to benefit us through the suffering. But there are also many good good gifts that we enjoy that we do feel good about. Um, James writes that every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights. And there are so many gifts around us that we can be grateful for. 
And I think it's interesting that James says, Jesus talks about two different kinds of gifts. He talks about good gifts and perfect gifts. And he differentiates between the two. Some gifts are good. Some gifts are perfect. And when we think of what that means, it's probably easy, if you're like me, to uh, drift to some you know, theological and well-rehearsed answers that we've probably all heard if you've been a Christian for a while. And those are good answers. It's not like they're bad. But take a moment to consider what are some good gifts from God that maybe you haven't recognized as such, or maybe you haven't thought about in a long time. And I believe that when we consider those gifts, we can find gifts uh, every day and everywhere that we can be grateful for and practice gratitude. We think about what is what about a sunrise at the beach here where I live, we're, we're close to the beach and the sun comes up over the beach every morning. And then it sets over the mountains every evening. They're beautiful. They're a gift. They're things that we can enjoy. Um, air conditioning. Well, of course, here where I am in Australia, it's pretty warm on Christmas. It's hot middle of summer. So, you know, air conditioning is a blessing. Um, the carols that we sing at Christmas, our, our church, our families, our friends, uh, all of the convenience that we get to enjoy in the world we live in. We sometimes forget all of these things are good gifts. And if we recognize them, that's going to prompt us to be grateful for those things and enjoy those. Here's an idea that you can implement if you'd like to give it a try. Take five minutes for the next week. Each day, pick a time, just five minutes. That's really all you need. You probably don't even need that long. And sit there and think on the good gifts in your life for that amount of time and write them down. No need to force it. No need to rush it. Take your time with it. Just a little bit of time each day for a week. Write those things down. Give it a try. Put an alarm in your phone to remind you to do it. And then at the end of the week, go back and read through all of those gifts. And as you do, consider the source of those good gifts. And the Bible says all good gifts come from God. And that's a fantastic thing to consider what are some of the gifts in your life that maybe you don't normally think about? And when you sink those things out and you think about them and you concentrate on finding them and looking for them, and then you recognize them as a good gift from God, the practice of gratitude adds meaning to those gifts. When I read every good gift comes from God, it makes me think of 2 Corinthians 9.15, and it says, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. And I like the word indescribable because it's kind of what I'm getting at today. It brings together the idea of wonder and mystery and awe and things that maybe we can't put into simple words because there's things as a Christian that are just like that, things that are indescribable, things that we just can't explain with the language that we have. We can consider the the mysteries and wonder of what Christmas means in our mind, but it's difficult to put into words. And of course, we couldn't talk about the perfect gift without talking about Jesus. And of course, you know, we talk about the gospel a lot and the good news and God's, you know, plan of redemption for all people. And it's good to remember that in that Jesus, he is the gospel. Throughout history, there's been a lot of babies born but there's only, you know, one birthday person's birthday who we celebrate like we do at Christmas, and that's Jesus. Uh, many people were crucified. 
you know, that's an unfortunate thing. But the reality is, is many people were crucified, but it was only Jesus himself who was God's perfect gift. And when we think about how God orchestrated all of that and how Jesus was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world and how part of that plan was that a virgin would give birth to the son of God, wonderful counselor, you know, Isaiah 6, 9, 6, prince of peace, savior of the world, king of kings, all of these things. And yet you can know him. You can know him personally. It's an indescribable and perfect gift. It's a wonder. It's a mystery to ponder. It's something to think about. In Luke chapter 2, at my house on Christmas morning, we always read Luke chapter 2, but we're going to read verses 16 through 19. And they say, so they came hurrying and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. When they had seen him, they made widely known the word which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at what the shepherds told them. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. When you think about that, Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. That's such a significant verse. And it it brings together that wonder and the mystery of Christmas. Mary ponders all of these things in her heart. She's pondering things that she doesn't fully understand, but knows them to be real nonetheless. She's pondering things that she can't put into words, but they're very true all the same. She had never known her husband, but gave birth to Jesus. And there are some things about God that you know, some things you can know, but you can't necessarily explain beyond saying God did this. And that's really the virgin birth in a nutshell. How else do you explain that? God did this. And we live in a world where many people seem to think that if you can't explain something or fully comprehend it, you can't believe it. And I always think when I hear someone say that, I think, how boring is that? That's what happens to Christianity when we think we can explain everything. We make it boring. And for me, some of the things I can't explain are are why I believe. And I like that. I like that there's things about God that I can't articulate, things that are beyond me. There's wonders, there's mysteries that are more than me. And I I really enjoy that. I think that's a wonderful thing. Things that are a mystery and a wonder, and there's there's no other answer for those things except God. And I don't have to explain everything to everyone. I used to feel that way as a pastor that I needed to have all the answers. Unfortunately, I've kind of gotten over that. I don't have to explain everything to everyone. There are some mysteries, some wonders that are left outside of our understanding that we ponder, that we wrestle with. And that's a good thing. And it's hard to imagine how Mary felt through all of this. She was quite young. Uh, It was a virgin birth. No doubt she was nervous, as any mom would be, Um, maybe unsure of exactly what was happening. And, you know, women would relate to this far better than a man would. They would understand this in a deeper way. And I think when the Bible says Mary pondered, all of these things, it encourages us to do the same. And there's no more, when you think about this, Mary and her part in the nativity, there is no more of a firsthand experience of the entire nativity than Mary, the mother of Jesus. There is no rabbi, the wisest rabbi who ever lived, the 
greatest theologian, Christian theologian who's ever lived, doesn't understand this like Mary does. And if she ponders at the wonder and the mystery of the nativity, then I, so should we. Um, I think we should do the same. Then if we back up a little bit from Mary, earlier in Luke chapter 2, we find the shepherds in verses 8 through 15, and they say, In the same area, there were shepherds living in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And then an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were very afraid. But the angel said to them, Listen, do not fear, for I bring you good news of great joy, which will be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find the baby wrapped in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. Suddenly there was with the angel a company of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace and goodwill towards men. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to each other, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see what has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And again, you know, put yourself in the position of the shepherds and think about what this was like for them. It's easy for us to just simply kind of brush over this and go, yeah, that's a nice passage. Or we see maybe a picture of what this may have looked like. And there's like this soft glowing light. And uh, it's hard to imagine what this was like. These shepherds, they're, they're outside. They're half asleep. Maybe some were asleep. Others were um, on duty, keeping watch over the sheep. And then this happens. The angel of the Lord appears to them and the glory of the Lord shines around them. And imagine what that looked like. Ponder that. It was something that made them very afraid. It was obviously a very powerful thing that happened. Seeing a supernatural being and the glory of God shining on you. And they probably thought they were about to die when this happens. Uh, But this angel, the messenger from God says, Do not fear, for I bring you good news of great joy, which will be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find the baby wrapped in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. And there are so many good things to ponder in this passage. An angel comes to the shepherds out in the field. Everyday people doing everyday things, and God sends them a messenger. And why would God choose shepherds? And I know this this has been answered well in many sermons, but it's also one of my favorite things to consider in this, is why would God send a message to shepherds? Out of all the people God could have invited to be the first to meet his son, he chooses shepherds. And there's meaning in that, and there's reason in that, and there's there's wonder in that. Shepherds were just about as vanilla everyday people as I think you could get. They were just, yeah, kind of the the backbone of society, salt of the earth type people, everyday people. And there's a lot to this, but to enter the temple, to bring a sacrifice, to worship God, you first had to be ceremonially clean. And that means a shepherd couldn't go to the temple without cleaning up first. It's like they kind of couldn't go to church until they'd cleaned up first. And a shepherd was out living among the animals, and there's no bathtub out there, obviously. And then 
when the messenger comes, that's what the word angel means, this messenger, he comes to these shepherds and he says, come and see the Savior. They would have known what this meant. They would have understood what this angel was talking about. They would have known about prophecy in the Old Testament and the teaching that spoke to a coming Savior. And the angel says, you'll find him wrapped in strips of cloth, swaddling clothes, depending on which translation you read, and he's lying in a manger. And that is such a significant statement for the shepherds to hear a Savior is born, which is incredible, and it's meaningful. And they're also told he's wrapped in strips of, strips of cloth, not a royal robe. He's in a manger, not a temple or a palace. Now, the, what that means for the shepherds is they can go to him right now. They don't have to wait. They don't have to clean, get cleaned up first. They can go. They, they know they won't be denied access to him. And maybe they thought of Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, where it says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. The Savior in a manger is among the animals, just like the shepherds. And he's not somewhere they can't go. He really is Emmanuel, God with us. And God has given us an invitation to come and meet the King of Kings right now. And that's that's the same invitation that he has extended to everyone. Come and meet the King of Kings. Come and meet my son, the Savior born in the city of David. And he's still extending that invitation to people today. And, you know, how can you turn an invitation like that down? And the shepherds didn't. They said, let's go. Let's go see what's happened. And then lastly, we're going to look at Joseph and think of the things that Joseph had to consider, the mysteries he had to wonder about, the things he had to ponder. Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25 say, now the birth of Jesus Christ happened this way. After his mother Mary was engaged to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child by the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, had a mind to divorce her privately. But while he thought on these things, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for he who is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now all this occurred to fulfill what the Lord had spoken through the prophet, saying, A virgin shall be with child, and will bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is interpreted God with us. And then Joseph, being awakened from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and remained with his wife, and did not know her until she had given birth to her firstborn son. And he called his name Jesus. Joseph finds out that his wife-to-be, the woman he's engaged to, is going to have a baby. And the problem was that it was obviously not his. But Joseph, you know, he's obviously a just man, and he didn't want to cause Mary any more grief than, than necessary. I imagine he was probably disappointed, maybe hurt, but he decided to divorce her quietly. And even though they weren't married yet, um, at the time in the culture, an engagement or a betrothal was uh, very much binding, like a marriage. And the Lord appeared to Joseph 
in a dream and says, you know, it's okay to make Mary your wife because the child in her is conceived of the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, in this dream, you have to wonder what he thought, how he felt about that, ponder these things. And according to his dream, Mary had done nothing wrong. And the amazing thing about Joseph is, is he believes that. He trusts that. He trusts God. He puts faith in that. And he moves forward in that knowledge, in that faith. And I've heard some religious systems make um, jokes about the virgin birth and try to make it something crass. Um, I've heard people say, oh, this was just superstition. You know, they just thought it was a miraculous baby. Um, I don't think anyone believed that a baby could just spontaneously happen. Everyone knew how that worked and no one would have thought otherwise. Um, But Joseph had to step into trusting God and believing that this baby was truly a miracle and that his stepson that he's going to raise is the son of God. And that's a wonder. And that's a mystery that can't be explained. And Joseph had to take that step of believing God in that. And Mary, you know, again, she was as close as anyone could be to all of this. And she ponders the wonders and the mystery of it all. And it's not something that can just be explained with simple words. And it's a mystery and a wonder that must be pondered. And we should all do that. And it's okay not to be able to explain everything. The mystery, the wonder is is good. And God has given us the perfect, the indescribable gift of Jesus. He is Emmanuel. He's God with us. And God invites us today just like he invited the shepherds to come and meet his son, the savior of the world, born in the city of David. And like the shepherds, you don't have to get cleaned up first. You just come. You don't have to be religious first. You don't have to do ceremonial things first. God just says, just come meet my son. And the angel says to Joseph, the child your wife carries is conceived by the Holy Spirit, you will call his name Jesus, and he will save his people from their sins. And that's all Joseph has, is that dream and mystery and wonder. And he decides to trust God. And every Christian ever throughout history has come, every future Christian must come to that place of mystery and wonder. And you can listen to Every explanation, every teacher, every theologian ever, you can hear all of the apologetics, and you will never, ever come to a place where you say, okay, now I can explain it all. And now that I can explain it all and completely comprehend it, I can believe it. And the person who needs all of that will never believe. That's just reality. And, you know, those things have their place for sure. But in the end, there's always that place, regardless of what you believe, whether you're agnostic, atheist, whatever, there's a point where you can only reason so far, and then you have to step and say, I believe this. And some would say, you know, well, if if I could see God perform a miracle, or if I could see God do this thing or that thing, I would believe. And to that, I say, no, you wouldn't. You You would find a way to explain that away, just like you already do. Because there were a lot of people in the New Testament who saw Jesus perform supernatural miracles, and they didn't believe 
that he was the Savior. There wasn't that many people who actually followed Jesus, even though they saw him perform all kinds of miracles. There's always an excuse. There's always an attempt to explain it away. And the reality is that no one's ever going to remove the, the mystery and the wonder and the awe of the majesty of God. And that's good. And that's not going away. He wouldn't be God if we could explain everything about him. There are some things that will always remain beyond us in the virgin birth, the resurrection can only be answered with God. And every believer ever has had to come to that place where they turn away from themselves and lay down the trappings, the shackles of this world and step into the freedom of the wonder and the mystery of God and just relax into that through the shed blood of Jesus, knowing that Jesus died on the cross for our sin, that he was born in a manger, that he lived a perfect life, that he went to the cross, an innocent man, and shed his blood for us. And if there hasn't been a time in your life where you have turned to him, turned away from yourself, turned away from sin, and turned to Jesus, knowing that you need a Savior, if you haven't done that, you don't know him. And if you're waiting until you can answer every question, you never will. Just some things to consider. And I hope you have... A great week and a very Merry Christmas. Thank you for taking the time to listen today. Let me know what you think in the comments. Please consider subscribing and sharing this with someone who might find it helpful. Oh, that's good.